You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Guys, good morning. Do you know, um, hold on, let me just find this. We, we just sang uh, our holy commitment in body and spirit to honour you, Jesus, as Lord our love and affection, our time and attention. And um, the whole time I couldn't quite help but be captivated by the way the light is shining on the bottom of the screen there that just looks like a crown. And uh, well, let's just pray. Jesus, I just pray that you are crowned this morning. King of kings, Lord of lords. Our commitment, our affection, our lives, all that we are, all that we do, is spent on you and you alone. And I pray for all of us, Lord, wherever we come, however we come, that our hearts are stirred, our affection is stirred, that the part we see, we see a greater part. As Steph said this morning, Lord, we just want to have an anticipation. We want to come with a hunger and a desperation and a longing. Lord, would we make much of you this morning? Amen. You know, I've, I've been doing a, a series called Empowered Church, and some of you are thinking, oh, I didn't even realize it was a series. I just thought that was just church because this has gone on for so long. And uh, uh, like, man alive, will this thing ever end? Well, uh, hopefully today is that day. I say probably because you never quite know, but it was my plan to finish today. But just to, to round it off, kind of before we jump in, I just wanted to share um, a few <clears throat> general reflections with you. And um, some of you will love this. Some of you will wonder what on earth I'm going on about. But if I was to give this talk a name, I've called it a love and a shove. Um, I, I love you and I want to shove you as hard and as far as I can into Jesus. And uh, we want to be an empowered church. We want to do the stuff that Jesus did and we want to do it in the way that he did it. Now, the interesting thing, I guess, obviously, with that is we all have slightly different starting points, and whether we acknowledge it or not, we will all have experiences in life that have shaped us and cost us. Some of them will be good, some of them less so. Some of them actually will be really quite challenging. And they all come into play when we start to be formed and gathered as a community. And um, <coughs> do, you, do you remember... Um, at school doing exams. Some of you are going to have to dig slightly further back for that than others. Some of you are thinking, actually, I'm still doing exams at school. But um, uh, it was, I would say it was quite a while ago for me. Some of you are now thinking, well, not so compared to me. But occasionally, I still have dreams and I have flashbacks, and I get the panic of, you know the little tables you sat at? Ours were like double tables, and we used to have these cardboard dividers that if they weren't folded right, they fell over, and everyone looked at you like you were, you were cheating, but whilst they were down, you were kind of like, well, you know, this is a free-for-all. Um, but anyway, it was like the clocks and the, the seating positions, and the, the, again, it's wasted on you, but it's like the record of achievement. It's the, like the whole thing was like, oh my goodness, like I still get the dreams about it now. And then there was this guy, um, Stephen Turvey, and I know none of you actually know Stephen Turvey, but before we even sat the exam, Stephen Turvey, like I knew 
and he knew, our whole class knew, all of our teachers knew, that Stephen Turvey was like a straight A's guy. It was just going to be A's. Whatever he did, it was going to be A's. And in fact, it wasn't, I don't know if it still works like that now, but like O-levels, A-levels, whatever. But uh, Stephen Turvey wasn't just straight A's, he was A-stars. It was just the guy that he was. And uh, I remember sat with him on results day. Let's not even talk about results day. What was that all about? Panic for that thing. But um, because you were like, in your head, my record of achievement isn't going to be good enough that I will amount to anything in life if results day isn't good. <clears throat> anyway, Stephen on results day is crying. And I'm like, mate, why are you crying? I'm just glad this thing is done. Like, let's go and now enjoy our summer and have a life. And, and, and he's got all A's. Actually, he's got all A stars, but one of them, just one of them was an A. And this guy is in tears. And um, I'm like, mate, <laughs> what? Anyway, do you remember the people who, who, who would come out of the exam once they'd done it and they'd be like, I nailed it. Absolutely brilliant. I bossed it. Absolutely, like pen down, out to go, head on the table, leaning on my arms, no problem. Bossed it. Results day, some of them clearly hadn't bossed it. I don't know if you remember those people. The reality was on results day was loads of them clearly were a long way further from what they thought they were. But then there was the, the people who came out of that exam room and they're like, I did so bad. Like, so so bad. That was bad. That was like car crash. Bad. That was horrific. That was awful bad. That was a disaster. I can't even talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Stop talking about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about it. You're talking about it. But okay. Then there's the people. I can't even remember her surname. But Zoe, she she came out and she literally just said nothing. And I, I don't know what that was. She was either quietly confident or it was just like the panic attack of like, what have we just done? She didn't say a word. And I'm like, are you are you all right? Is everything all right there, Zoe? Are you all right? Nothing. Just like glazed look. And oh, I think we need to, someone help her quick. But anyway, what, what, what we do and what I want to say is, have you ever found that we, not quite like that, but have you ever found we do that kind of thing as a church, that we compare ourselves with others, don't we? So there's clearly those that you would say, they're like bossing it in the relationship with Jesus. They're like the Stephen Turvies of the relationship with Jesus. And therefore, mine's rubbish. Like, why do, why do I even bother? I, I can't even go on. Or, like, mine's so bad. My relationship with Jesus is so bad. It's all over the place. Honestly, it's not. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't, don't come out thinking you're doing badly when actually you're just giving everything you've got to this thing. Stephen Turvey, such high pressure and expectation on himself. His whole thing really actually probably just came down to what his dad wanted for him rather than even where he was at. He was doing phenomenal, but he had this pressure and expectation and the burden. Sometimes I think that happens where we start to build this pressure and expectation of what we think others think, or what we think others think we should be doing or living like, or, or like the Zoe's where actually it's just easier to keep it all in your head. I, I can't share it. I don't want to share my life, who I am, where I'm really at with anyone else, because they wouldn't understand anyway. And actually, they haven't experienced what I've experienced. I'm just going to keep it to myself. Comparison is so dangerous. And I just want to love us and shove us and say, look, we've, we've got to run in our own lane. Not that we don't do this as a we thing and it becomes an I thing, but you've got to stay in your own lane. And you've got to be aware of your pain and get in your lane. If that's where we're going today, it's be aware of your pain, get in your lane. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of my pain. 
And I've got to stay in my lane, and I want to say a similar thing to you. Here's a stat that I've made up, so you're never going to be able to find the results of it. So please bear with me, but I think it's roughly right, but it's only roughly because I made it up. I'd say 80% of our pain is our pain, and the other 20% is where that then collides with somebody else's. Now, that makes up what I'm calling another made-up thing, a painomometer, right? If ever there's such a thing or a word. Now, the painomometer affects how you see the world and the lens and the viewfinder through which you have. Stephen Turvey's pain was his dad's expectation of him and then his perceived expectation on himself. I'm not. I'm just a failure if I don't, if I can't. Now, there'll be stuff in your upbringing, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your relationship with your children, in a work dynamic, in something someone said to you, in the way you look, in your bank balance, in your health, in your job, in your lack of job, whatever it is that will affect your lens and it will affect how you see yourself and therefore how you think the father sees you and it can cause your painometer to go up quite significantly. And when you bring 80% of your pain and your expectation and lens and understanding of that, of yourself, and then that collides with others and it collides with church, all of that is going to slightly shift and increase the painometer. And I'm not saying you have pain and I don't have pain. Honestly, I have pain. I've spent my life trying to work through my pain and get it on the table before Jesus and be open and honest about it and not then let it leak out into everyone and anyone and try not to let it actually get in the way of me fully stepping into advancing the kingdom of God. Pain doesn't count me out. I just have to be aware of it and acknowledge it and healthfully try and deal with it. I have to acknowledge the fact that it's there and the only place that I'm going to find healing and freedom and restoration is in the arms and the face of Jesus. Now, it can be jolly tempting, maybe this is just me, but it's jolly tempting to try and sort it out even subconsciously in any and every other place. Or can I just tell you about, oh, you didn't even ask, but I need to tell you about my pain. Oh, it's, it's Black Friday. Actually, if I just buy a load of stuff, that's going to help it go away, or like a little house project is going to distract me, or a relationship, or whatever it might be, a friendship, that's the thing that's going to sort it. We can chase it anywhere and everywhere, but the place it needs to be, and the only place that we're going to see it set free, is in the arms and the face of Jesus. You know, this last week, I had a very narrow window of opportunity to pop to B&Q. I love going there, but I just needed like a couple of things, and uh, Steph was out and so was at a dance class and I had a 25-minute window. And uh, I got there and lives in the trolley. I put her in the trolley so I could push her faster because we've got to be fast and it should be a bit slower if not. And I got to the aisle that I needed to be on and I'm like dropping things into the trolley. She's not in the kid's seat, she's in the trolley. She just loves it, like stuff's just piling up around her. We're not even buying it, I'm going to have to put it back. She just loves stuff in the trolley. And then I'm doing like the, the trolley spin thing and I know what's happening. Some of you are like, you're that person. I am that person. Uh, she loves it. I just like spinning around as we go and other shoppers are looking at me like I'm going to report you but it's like the cheap Alton Towers of like it's cheap Alton Towers basically anyway three or four quick spins in a row I've learned and she's screaming in delight we're on track we're going fast it's like push and spin and we've got to keep moving because I've got to get back to Soph and the clock is ticking and we get to the checkout and I've forgotten my wallet and I'm like oh, what have you done have you ever done it? it's an like awful experience but it's okay because I've got Apple Pay 
But then I realized, like, where's my phone? And I said, I said to Liv, have you, have you got my phone? Because she's often playing on my phone. And she's like, no, she never plays on my phone. I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> Obviously, I'm a better parent than that. But anyway, she's like, no. And I, I love a crisis. So on the outside, I'm pretty chilled out. But on the inside, I'm slightly panicking. What is it about losing your phone that just sends you into a tailspin? It's worse than exam anxiety. So anyway, I, I'm like, it's OK, because I've left it in the car, because I know I had it. So we dashed to the car. And I turn the car upside down, and it's not in the car. Liv is now no longer in the trolley, because she, if she was in the trolley, we'd have had to steal the stuff. So obviously, we left the trolley by the checkouts. And um, partly because of time, but partly because of the phone crisis, I'm now carrying Liv, and I'm running. And she's loving the drama. She's like, this is the old trolley thing, but you're carrying me faster, Daddy. Come on, let's go. And uh, anyway, we're running through the shop. I don't recommend now spinning her in the trolley, what I was doing, because it's not made for, like, run spin. It's like... We're in crisis mode. Anyway, we get back to the aisle where we'd been, and I find my phone under some toolboxes. I mean, what a banana. Who actually does that? And, but, but here's the point I want to make. You're like, oh, yeah, there is actually a point. I'd found something that was lost, and life somehow was now better than if I'd never actually lost it in the first place. Because in finding it, I was actually more delighted than if I'd never had it in the first place. Does that make sense? Maybe it was just a weird phone thing. But I'm fist pumping, and me and Liv are like high-fiving whilst I'm spinning in the trolley. I'm in a significant rush at the checkout, and we are just letting people go. Like, no, you go in front of us. This is your day. I don't care how much stuff you've got. Don't you worry. You take as long as you need. People are looking at me like, you're more odd than normal. Like, you are really odd. But some of you... When you come into these environments, when you're in a church community, you feel lost. And some of you feel you've lost something. Some of you feel lost in that life just hasn't worked out the way you thought it would, in the way you were thinking maybe it was going to be, be that life, job, relationship, money, family. Whatever it is just hasn't lined up for you. And in the church family, sometimes you feel lonely. At times you aren't even sure you want to be part of it. And then when you are part of it, you start to do the exam thing where you're comparing yourself to others. I'm, I'm not like them, and they're not like me. And I used to be like this, but actually I'm not that anymore. Whatever happened to me? Where's the old me gone, the me of five years ago that felt alive? Have you, have you ever done that one? And some of you feel lost, but some of you have lost something. It's like kids with a new pair of shoes. Initially, they're new and they love them. It's like new shoes and they make you run faster and you jump higher. And then within a few weeks, they're just not new anymore. They're just shoes. And actually, they're covered in mud and you've got a few blisters because they haven't quite worn in right. And you can so easily lose the joy of your salvation. Your shoes are rubbing. Relationships are hard. You get a few blisters or sometimes something, a conversation was just a bit bruising. I used to love it. I used to get so much out of it. But actually now this thing is just costing me. Actually, this thing is really hard work. Have you ever found that? Well, Jesus loves to find things that are lost. In fact, he leaves found things and he searches for lost things. Hang on, I've got 99 sheep but I'm going to go and find the one and I'm going to fight for them and I'm going to find them. Luke 15 verse 3, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? 
when he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go in search of the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he finds it, he will carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. I want to fight for you to be found. He's waiting for lost people to come to their senses and realize that they need him. And he's looking and he's longing for them to come back. Luke 15, the prodigal son, verse 15, verse 32. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. He was dead. And he's come back to life. In Jesus, we find life. We come back to life. I'm longing for some of you where this whole thing has just become dry and routine and stale and distant and almost like, oh, yeah, it's religious. I used to be, once I had. I'm longing for you to come back to life. Luke 15, verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls in her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. If you feel lost, he's on the lookout for you. If you've lost the joy, if you've lost the passion, if you've lost the desire, he's in the business of breathing life into you. An empowered church is a church that understands that he wants us to be a church and he wants us to be empowered. We're his people and he forms us together. And one day he's coming back for his church and we've got to learn to love the thing that he loves. I've just got to try and get my pain out of the way because pain prevents Pain prevents you from being all he has for you and pain robs you and pain can give a foothold to the enemy. Pain can cause us to think it's everyone else that has something that needs to change. Like If they're like me, actually, they probably do. But actually, the only person who can sort my stuff out is me. We've got to be people that work on our pain. But redirected pain can have purpose. Pain in the arms of Jesus can take your mess and cause your mess to become your ministry because we either get bitter or we get better. We get upset or understanding, hostile or humble, furious or forgiving. Jesus is still doing today what he was doing in the storm-tossed sea in Galilee, calling common people to move above and beyond the so-called natural laws and walk with him into the realm of the miraculous. Much more is unknown than is unknown. Sorry, much more is unknown than is known, but Jesus is calling us to follow him. Jesus wants to meet your needs today. In these moments, Jesus and Jesus alone and other people, other things, other whatever it is, we so often add another thing to Jesus and Jesus alone. It becomes all, and the church, and a great person, whatever it is, whoever it is, they're not going to meet your needs. They're not going to heal your pain, but Jesus will, and Jesus does, when we fall on our faces before him in our weakness and our brokenness, in full acknowledgement that he can and we can't. And when we realize he can and what he came for and what his kingdom is all about, our lens our mindset starts to shift and our pain doesn't define us, it starts to refine us. Our our pain starts to become his promises and the unearthing of his purposes.
I don't know if you've ever been fishing. I'm not going to tell you about the number of times I have because they were like literally so bad. Um, I'm quite impatient. And you're like, where is this fish thing that we're going to be catching? But I, I, I guess what I want to partly say in that is today I want for many of you like almost reeling in a fish. The father wants to reel you in. You've become distant. You've strayed. You're living on something of the past. Oh, it used to be this. Mark 1, 17. Jesus called them. He said to them, come and follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. He wants to catch you. Not only does he want to catch you, he wants to clean you. And then he wants to send you and send you out. I guess the question is this. Do you want to be found? Do you want to be found? Do you want to be caught? Sometimes when I play hide and seek with the kids, they're kind of gutted if I find them. They, they want to hide. Sometimes people prefer to be in the shadows. We prefer to hide. We prefer sometimes to hang on to our stuff. We prefer to hang on to our pain and it becomes a safety net. Exodus 14 verse 12. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. You know, sometimes it can feel easier to stay where we are or where we were rather than walking through our pain. And the challenge and the discomfort that can come with having to deal with our stuff or working on that pain. Some days and sometimes it's just got to be left foot, right foot, keep going, stand firm, don't look down and don't look back. But our discipleship, our process of becoming more like Jesus demands more of us. And I long for more for you than just settling and becoming comfortable with your pain. Settling for me rather than we. Settling for the, oh, I'm too busy. Settling for the relationships just cost me too much. Settling for that, oh, you, you do you, I'll do me. Settling for that, oh, it's just the way it's always going to be. That's how it has always been. That's how it will always be. Settling for comparison that so often we fall into and trip into. Moses in the passage in Exodus 14 has got loads of people around him that are moaning and grumbling, wishing they were back where they were. And he said this to them, verse 13. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Love that. You probably get, that's where these printed T-shirts come from. Just stay calm. But how do you stay calm when the storm is blowing? Eyes on the Lord, because it's always him. He doesn't need to stop the storm to be in the storm. But the door handle for this, the route out for you, is always on the inside. It's always something that you've got to take hold of, because our discipleship is always in our own hands. Moses is saying, don't get overwhelmed. The Lord provided before, and the Lord will provide again. But smooth seas don't make skillful sailors. Sometimes we walk through stuff and it's painful. Just because we're in the storm doesn't mean he's not in it with us. It's often as we look back that we say, goodness me, he strengthened me, he provided for me. In a way, that was miraculous. I couldn't have done that without him because in my own strength, I couldn't have gone on. I just want to say this, choose him and choose him all over again. 
choose his people, choose his purposes to help you and provide for you. So often, so easy, we can get into this mentality of, I, I don't need the church. I don't need the hassle of it. I don't need the heartache of it. It's just like gym membership. It's kind of there for like the panic of your life just after Christmas when you've had all the mince pies. I'm going to start my gym membership again. If it's his plan A, if it's what he's coming back for, don't you think it's going to be fought for? Don't you think the enemy's going to try and rob it and undermine it and try and destroy it? But Jesus calls us and he calls people to be rocks on which he builds. I'm, I'm not a professional. I'm just the guy who said and hopefully will continue to say yes. I'm not saying it's going to look for you how it's looked for me. I'm just longing for you to say a yes to the thing that he loves. And what that always is, is Christ, his church, and his cause. And we learn to love what he loves, despite our pain, through our pain, knowing that it's him that heals, it's him that restores, it's him that breathes life, it's him that takes dead things and breathes on them. Again, it's him that searches for lost things that they might be found. Our desire personally and our own lives has never been to show our children church we want to show them Jesus but the 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 thing is when we show them Jesus they can't not love the church because it's his bride you know last week at cause to live for this conference a number of us went to I saw so many people just have these eye-open moments they saw more of Jesus than they had been seeing And there's something that is beautiful that happens in those moments. The overflow of that is they always step into his church and his cause more. Of course they do, because it's the things that he's about. We learn to love the things that he's about. And we're in a culture that is trying to deconstruct literally everything. And we've got to have a voice into that. We've got to be people who stand in the gap and actually fight the tide and the flow of that thing. Oh, I just go to the footy with my mates or we just hang out down the church. That's, that's my church. That's how we do life. You know, you do you, I'll do me. Absolutely do those things. But do those things from the springboard. So surely we don't lose the central springboard of prioritizing what Jesus prioritized and the foundation and the formation of the spiritual disciplines that come from the gathered and scattered church rhythm. There's rhythms and disciplines that help us. And the one that just happens to be at around 10.30 all across the world on a Sunday has been happening for a very long time. And I can't find a better way of doing it. Now, you could be thinking, Paul, you're just trying to build the church because you lead the church. Well, if I'm really honest, not really, because I don't think we get to build the church. I think that's his job. Our mandate is just, all of our mandates is actually to make disciples. Now, I am intentionally trying to provoke some of you because God intends the church to be a place that is positive and loving and accepting relationships, a place where righteousness reigns and in which people are known and known by others and never been more 
crucial in a culture that constantly keeps saying I, that we have to learn to say we, because we need a place to call home and we need a community to be part of and we need to be in fellowship with each other because that is what it is to be discipled. We can't be discipled alone. And sometimes we search for like the perfect church with the perfect people in it and the perfect small group. I've got to tell you, and I don't think I actually need to tell you because I think you already know, this isn't a perfect church. And the reason I know you've worked that out is because if for no other reason, because I'm in it. I'm actually not joking. It's a choice and it's a decision to commit ourselves to what Jesus loves and to what Jesus is coming back for. All families have interesting moments, don't they? and moments of collision. Jesus' disciples were always at it. They were actually with him, and yet they had these moments of collision with each other and with him. They often didn't get along with others in the group because they thought they were better, or they knew they were right, or they knew how others were wrong, and they argued about it, and they mistreated people. And Jesus is thinking of feeding a few thousand people, and they say, well, just send them home, like, because they don't know what he's going to do. And sometimes they're trying to call down fire on people. We could go on and on and on and on and on. I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm no different to them with all of its imperfections that I, with all of its imperfections that we bring, the church is still the best place to be. I don't want you to commit to the theory of church, but to the actual body of frail, imperfect people and we step into the advancement of the kingdom of God when we surrender our lives to Jesus we're signing up to participate in in his thing giving a portion of what we have our time our energy our money on a regular basis to that purpose to redeeming people to caring for people it's going to be hard it's going to cost you it cost Jesus his life Matthew 16 25 if you're trying to hang on to your life you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Don't give it up, surely, for the wrong things. Give it up for the things that matter to him. Sharing your heart and your life can be hard enough with people that you're close to, let alone with people that are more challenging. And they take from you more than they give, and it's not easy. And I can tell you, it is not easy. But it's where you really see the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God extend and forcefully advance in our midst. You know, when we go to the doctors, we expect the doctor to make us better, not to train us to be a medic. When you go to a lawyer, you expect them to give you some kind of legal advice, not to train you to solve your own legal problems. Do you see the problem, therefore, sometimes we have when we come to church? You're going to fix me. Paul, you're going to sort my problems. I, I can't fix your problems. I can barely solve my own. Just to be absolutely clear, though, I do know somebody who can. And his name is Jesus. And I hope that we do train each other to see him better and help and equip us to minister rather than only be ministered to. And it's in the doing of what he did 
in the way that he did it that we start to see the miraculous unfold and we ourselves are healed. The disciples had all sorts of challenges. They had all sorts of issues and yet it didn't stop them from getting on with it. They were healed as they went and they were healed by watching. They were healed through serving and through doing. Now, I know some of you, some of you are panicking. You almost miss hearing what I'm saying. You're like, Paul, I'm just doing my best. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. I'm just trying to hold down a job. I'm just trying to pay the bills. It's wild. And you're asking me for more. I don't think I'm asking you for more. I'm longing for you to see more. What often happens is we become insecure about the effectiveness of the thing that we're already doing. And therefore we try and hold it and we try and protect it. And the thing we are doing then is we hold it and we don't release it. But we're called to release what the Lord has given us. Jesus certainly had his work cut out with the guys who hung out with him. But all they really did is watch the stuff that he did. They learned from him and the way that he was doing it. Then they did it with him. Then he watched them as they did it. And then he left them doing it. It was a release thing. We've got to learn to release what the Lord is entrusting us with and stewarding upon us. I'm never about, hey, you're not doing this. That's never my intention. If you come here today and you're like, oh, you're just beating me up for the thing I'm not. I'm not about that. I'm about, hey, have you seen what we get to do and what we get to do together? In the early church in Acts 2, they were devoted to one another. That was how a lot of their personal growth came. It's really important that we realize we need each other. This is a together thing. He's calling us to do this thing together. And I want to press that onto us. I want to love us and shove us with that. I think what is really fascinating is I've, I've got this tricky moment this morning where I intended to talk about prophecy to round off this series and my kind of introduction to talking about prophecy kind of became the talk. Now, don't worry, I'm not about to do a double talk. Um, we've seen that recently before. But um, let's, let's just have a, a few, that was naughty, I shouldn't have said that. Um, but let's just have a few moments of reflection because with, with prophecy, I think the same thing happens that happens with exam tables and exams. We do exactly the same thing. We think hearing from God is something certain people do really well. And you're often going to know about it because they'll say, I heard the Lord say. And you come away thinking, well, I, I didn't. I, goodness, I don't hear like that. Therefore, so-and-so really hears from God but I don't. I say, I'm just not very good at this whole Jesus thing. Hearing from God said in a way like they're almost presenting on the X Factor, is like, you've heard from the Lord. And we then start to leave it to the professionals and we leave it to the prophets. We leave it to those that say certain things in a certain way. And I want to stir that with you because I don't think that's what the Lord is calling us to. I think he calls us to all be in and to all give our everything. And maybe we'll pick some of that up next week. I just won't say it's part of this series. But today what I want to do is probably just challenge us to want what he wants. Do you want the things that he's about? Some of you will have let the pain that you carry become front and centre, to let the cost of it rob you of the joy of it. 
I know I've framed it a little bit around pain, but I don't think it's even that. It's not just seeing what's robbed you, it's believing what could be and realising that you're called to be a significant part of that. We're a body, and for a body to function and a body to flourish, it needs every part. It takes all of us committing to be disciples and to be discipled. It's knowing that he gets it. Honestly, he gets it. He gets your pain. He gets your shift pattern. He gets your job thing. He gets your health thing. He gets your children thing. He gets your life stage. Whatever the thing is that you're thinking, oh, it's the thing, that's the thing he gets. And he joyfully carries you on his shoulders and he says, hey, come and be part of my thing. He's holy and his bar for us is high, but it's not so high that we can't get over it. Why don't we stand together? I think we just want to make some space for the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're newer in the room, let me just explain. I'm just going to take a moment. might help to close your eyes or remove the distractions that bombard us in these moments. We want to just make space for the Lord to move among us, speak to us, encourage us, comfort us, challenge us. So, Lord, we welcome you. I think some of you in the room will be acutely aware that you are plagued by comparison and you're tired of it and you know it's not the fullness of what God has for you and we would love to come alongside you and pray for you that that will shift, that there will be a discernible shift that you will start to see yourself the way the Lord does and that you will find a security in your identity in him that is truer and surer than ever before and some of you just need yeah just loving in that moment just for the love of God to pour out over you and then there's others of you that you can acknowledge you need a loving shove you're not stepping into all the fullness of what God's got for you and you know you're almost holding back and yeah the Holy Spirit is is kind and he is gentle and he won't force himself upon us but there are times where we have to say yes give me the push God I say yes to you I want to partner with what you've got for me and you almost have to just willingly allow yourself to be shoved
Yeah, I think there's somewhere the like pain has almost become the narrative. It's become the thing that you you're just aware. Like it started to define me. It started to rob me. It started to chew away. Also, I can almost sense it and see it in the room. I think there is an awakening for the church to be all that it could be and should be. Some of you is like a rising passion for. I want the fullness of the bride of Christ. Lord, release your power. Release your presence. Release your fragrance. Release a fresh wind of anointing on this thing. Tired of doing it my way. Tired of the humanness of it. I want to see the fullness of the Lord upon us. There'll be a number of other things the Lord is stirring and doing, and always encourage people to step into that. I do have a sense that there's somebody with a uh, your right calf muscle. I think the Lord is always healing us physically, but if sometimes He wants to get our specific attention. I think some ways He's trying to grab your attention with that. There may be someone else that has. Um a problem with their left hand, a problem with the tendons in their left hand. There was a word about that specifically this morning. And then also just to pick up on what Hettel sensed about healing for vision, whether that's a spiritual vision or a physical vision, but that, um, yeah, the Lord might be highlighting that to some of you this morning. So why don't you make your way out to the front if you'd like to receive prayer about any of the things that we've mentioned or indeed anything else. This is a space to be vulnerable and allow the Holy Spirit to meet with us, change us, heal us. He's so kind. I would encourage you, even if there's like the slightest part of you that's thinking, oh, I kind of think maybe I should. Do I need prayer? Did I resonate with some of those words? Don't hesitate, just come. Just come and receive prayer. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.